This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Follow along as we look today. We're going to begin reading just two sections just to connect Matthew, where we've been spending a lot of time with our series on the Sermon on the Mount, and the new series we're going into, Book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. Matthew chapter 28, Great Commission. We're going to read verses 16 down through verse 20. This will be where we'll be spending most of our time today. This is God's inspired word. It's a gift to us. This is how he leads us through his word. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Acts chapter 1. We'll be looking at this closely next Sunday, verse 1. In the first book, he's referring, Luke wrote the book of Acts. He's referring to his gospel, the gospel of Luke. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit, to the apostles whom he had chosen. We just read about that. Verse 3, he presented himself alive to them. After his suffering, by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days, and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to Wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. 
And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Amazing. Father in heaven, grant us the gift of illumination that we may see how great this Jesus is, I pray. In his name, amen. Please turn back to Matthew 28. We really must be radically Christ-centered. If we take the New Testament, if we take God's Word serious, we have to be radically Christ-centered. The Great Commission gives us this sense of the greatness of Jesus Christ. That's why it's called great. It's a clear statement for the purpose of the church, for our purpose. Verse 17 says, When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. That's really your two options. You either worship him or you doubt. May the Lord give us the gift of faith as we study the book of Acts. Verse 19 says, We baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the Son. He is God the Son incarnate. He's what makes our mission great. Whenever we do an introductory message for a new series, I always try to think about why we're here, why we chose this book to spend a lot of time in over the coming months for our church. Why for our diet, our spiritual food, would we focus on the book of Acts? What can we and Anticipate as we study this book. So I'll mention a few of, of the themes that we'll see in the book of Acts. One is the mission of the church, which is why we wanted to start in the Great Commission. We decided to do a series on this book so we would make sure we knew what our mission is, what our purpose is. Why do we exist as a church? You may think that is simple, but actually, in our day and age, it's, it's especially easy to lose your way as a church, as far as your mission goes. So we want to make sure we understand clearly what our mission is, and that's one of the reasons that we chose the book of Acts for a series. I recently went to see a movie called A Man Called Otto. The description is, Otto is a grump who's given up on life following the loss of his wife. He wants to end it all, but a young family moves in nearby, and it leads to a friendship that turned his world upside down. thought that was an interesting way to put it since Acts 17 talks about how the disciples came to Thessalonica. 
And they were described as the men who had turned the world upside down. Otto's world was turned upside down. I, I enjoyed this movie very much. It's great writing, great acting, wonderful story, many ways. Makes marriage very attractive. This man's wife had changed his life, and he loved her, and she had died, and he was grieving. It addresses a lot of problems in our culture. For example, suicide. He tries to kill himself a number of times. They're trying to, to give hope to people. Somewhat humorous was when he would try to kill himself, somebody would give him something to eat. And in the, in the midst of despair, he would eat, but he loved food. And so he would actually experience joy in the midst of despair. It's very Ecclesiastes, if you're familiar with the, the book. Solomon talks about how vain this life is, but learn to enjoy a cookie. There, there is a friendship and love between diverse people in the movie. There's forgiveness. Otto's a, an old curmudgeon, but he ends up making a difference in the lives of people who are very different than him. He even saves a stray cat. He, he battles big business. He's sad about the loss of trees behind his home. A Man Called Otto, the movie, is politically correct. It's making a loud statement. It is politically correct in our cultural moment. There is a message Hollywood wants you to have, and Man Called Otto doesn't leave the script. But there are many, many values in the movie and actually in our culture that we as Christians in a church can share. I found myself going, I want to do that. We can share these kindness, generosity, helping others. Our culture likes these things. I've been noticing it. And I was at a coffee shop, Sherry and I were at a coffee shop and I, I was behind a girl and for some reason she couldn't pay for her coffee and she left and I came up to order my coffee and the guy was there and I, I figured out something was wrong and I said, I, I could have paid for her coffee. I hate for her have to leave. Well, that's nice of you. And I ordered my coffee and, and then I figured out their credit card machine, they needed cash. That's why she couldn't pay. And I was like, man, I, I would have been glad to pay for her coffee. I had plenty of cash and, and he, was, he just rang it up. Just rang it up, had me pay for a coffee. Now, I was thinking, well, since she already left, you know. I, you know. <laughs> but, I, but I paid for it. And then she, she came back and he said she was going to pay for it. And she said, well, this, this man already paid. And she's like, oh, thank you very much. And then she gave her money to him as a tip. And then he came to me to give me the money she gave for the tip to pay me. And I said, no, you keep that. It was just a love fest, man. It was like, <laughs> who doesn't like all that? Otto was helping people who were being treated unfairly. He was trying to, they were trying to give Otto hope. That there's just so many things that resonate. With all of us, we want to, I want to do that. I want to be a blessing to our community. Big companies now, they're all trying to give back.
to their community. We want to do that. I want to be a blessing, even if people don't agree with us. I want, to, I want them to be glad we're here. There's, there's all these things. But, we must remember if we're going to be faithful to our mission as a church, we have to be radically Christ-centered. One of the things that Sherry and I noticed, it was striking to us about this movie. There, there was no God in this movie. There is no God in a man called Otto. He was ignored. He was invisible. It was as if he didn't exist. We believe Otto's world can't be turned upside down without the gospel. I believe that. That's my conviction. That's our conviction as a church. And it's our mission to proclaim the good news. We're going to see it again and again and again in the book of Acts. We're going to see the gospel prosper. And so we're studying this book so that we will always remain radically Christ-centered. That's our mission. All right, so let's, let's look at the Great Commission. What's so great about the Great Commission? Read it again, verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, the triune God, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's the Great Commission. What's so great about it? That is our mission. This is the Lord of the New Covenant expressing new realities about this new covenant. It's a new basis for a relationship between a holy God and a sinful people. Jesus has brought this new covenant into existence through his death and his resurrection. These words were spoken after Jesus Christ had been killed and raised from the dead before he ascended into heaven. He has given the church a mission. And verse 19 says, therefore. Go therefore. The therefore in the command found in the following verses points back to verse 18. We tend to rush past it and get to what we're supposed to do. But the command, the Great Commission is based on this, therefore. All authority in heaven and on earth, verse 18, has been given to me. Therefore. It's about what has been given to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not all authority is mine. That's not what he said. I have authority now. He's received something. He's, 
referring to who he is. He is God, the Son, incarnate, and he has fulfilled his mission. Therefore, go. Three points today. Number one, the Great Commission is the climax of the Gospel of Matthew. We've been in the Gospel of Matthew a lot, looking at the Sermon on the Mount. We want to connect the dots. The Great Commission is the climax of the Gospel of Matthew. It defines our mission. The Great Commission doesn't exist in isolation. It occurs in the context of this book that we've been studying. The Sermon on the Mount has everything to do with the Great Commission. This is the end of the book, the Gospel of Matthew. We need to remember the beginning. Remember, we looked at it a number of times in the first four chapters. Matthew introduces his gospel. The Great Commission is at the end. Remember what he said about Christ in the introduction. We looked at it in the Sermon on the Mount and during Advent. Matthew chapter 1. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. That's who Jesus is. He is God the Son incarnate. God the Son who has become man. Born of a virgin. He's the Word made flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. And in Matthew 28, he's saying to the disciples, something has happened so that as a result, all authority in heaven, all authority in earth has now, now been given to me. Something is true for Jesus that wasn't true before. It's important that we understand the significance of this before we go. And make disciples of all the nations. Matthew told his readers what Jesus came into the world to do. And he told his readers what he accomplished. He began the gospel connecting the gospel with Abraham. It begins with Abraham. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. That's how Matthew began his gospel. Luke, if you remember, begins with Elizabeth and Zechariah. Mark begins with John the Baptist. Why does Matthew begin with Abraham? Because the promise was given to Abraham, the promise that all the nations would be blessed was given to Abraham, and now... It has been fulfilled in Christ. That is central to Matthew's gospel. In you, the Lord said to Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God promised him that in his offspring, the world would be blessed. The promise given to him is now being fulfilled by the gospel going out into all the nations. There's a connection. This is what's going to turn your world upside down. It's, it's the good news about Christ. In, in the old covenant, there was no command to go. There's no command to go in the, in the Old Testament. 
the nations were supposed to come to Jerusalem. They would, they would be the light and the nations would come to them. But now, God's people go. They go into the nations. You may remember in Matthew 1, again, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Matthew's gospel begins with the naming of Jesus. He's a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He's to be called Jesus because he's going to save people from their sins. This is what the Great Commission, this is what's great about the Great Commission. And he says in verse 20, I am with you always. It's a reference back to God's revelation of who he was, who he is to Moses. I am. I am with you always. Second point, the Great Commission is great because Jesus is great. Jesus tells these 11 disciples that they will see he was named correctly. The Great Commission is in the context of a gospel which tells us who Jesus is. And, and the Great Commission is great because Jesus is great. And Matthew communicates this. And we capture this in the gospel. He is no less than God with us. And all the promises to Abraham will be fulfilled in him. A Acts is radically Christ-exalting. That's one of the reasons we want to do a series on Acts, because Jesus is great, and Acts exalts him. It drew us to this book. When Jesus came into the world, he came to people who had something wrong in their hearts, even though they were the Jewish people, even though they were God's people. John 5, Jesus said, How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and don't seek the glory that comes from the only God? You like the glory of man. You don't seek the glory that comes from God. They loved human greatness. They were self-exalting lovers of human glory. We're made in the image of God. And we're created. We have a purpose. We have a destiny. And that's to reflect this glory. This is our, our purpose. This is why we exist. And we'll never know joy without understanding this. Jesus came to people who didn't understand this. They wanted glory from man. Jesus came to redeem us and change us. And he does that through the gospel. Today's Super Bowl Sunday. Some of you will watch the game. I, I like football. I like to watch football. I like a football game. The Super Bowl is my least favorite football game. 
It has nothing to do, sometimes it feels like, with football. It's about everything else. It's about commercials. It's about fog machines and fireworks and halftime shows. And just remember, when you see all that, it's a loud statement. You know, the game is really not that exciting. It's really not that meaningful. It really doesn't last. We got to do something to hype this up. We don't need fog machines in the church, folks. We don't need fireworks. Jesus is great. It's a great commission because he is great. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He has come to save his people from their sins. Disciples of Jesus Christ are people who value this glory, who love this glory. Our mission and our message is about the glory of Christ. We can't compromise this message. We will be tempted to compromise it at times. But the Spirit is at work in people so that we love Him with all our heart, so that we serve Him with all our heart, so that we trust Him with all our heart, we seek Him with all our heart, we rejoice in Him with all our heart. So that we love the glory that comes from God more than the glory that comes from man. I know that if that happens, it's a miracle. Remember, this is not mission possible. This is mission impossible. We need God's help. This is why we do Vision Quest. Thus the name. Sign up for Vision Quest. Go to Panama City Beach. We're going to say the same thing again down there. But at least you'll be on the beach. You can have a good time. We want to give you this vision for your life. We don't want you to love the glory of man more than the glory of God. We want you to see Christ for who he is. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul said, He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and, and was raised. It's possible. John Piper says, Jesus came to die for sinners so that the suicidal love of self-glorification would be replaced with the all-satisfying experience of God-glorification. Jesus came to do that. He came to die so that we'd be transformed. A miracle would happen in our hearts. I'm sure you all have read the most recent issue of Fly Fisherman magazine. So you've probably already seen the last essay in the back, which is usually well-written. It's written by this time by a guy named Steve Ramirez, who's a Texas master naturalist, poet, and Marine Corps veteran. And he, he writes, I've been pondering the idea of home. See, us fly fishermen are philosophical. I've been pondering the idea of home. I've lived in so many places during my six decades of breathing. And there have been times and places when and where I may have felt at home, but it never lasted. Things change. Even those times and those places proved to be transitory, temporary, and transitional. Humanity and its environs are consistent in their inconsistency. 
He talks about rivers and fish and how they always change. And we go back and it's not the way it was. Very Ecclesiastes. He ends by saying, change is the only constant in the universe, like tides and currents. The places where we live are familiar, yet ever-changing. I thought, he's insightful. He does. He reminds me of Solomon in Ecclesiastes. Someone sent me a picture of the home I grew up in this last week. And it, it burned. And I had a funny reaction to that as I saw the picture because I lived there important years of my life. And I started thinking about his article and the idea of home. I'd read it about the same time. There, well, there goes my home. Mr. Ramirez was disillusioning us. That's what Solomon does in Ecclesiastes. It's actually a blessing because it brings us to reality. C.S. Lewis wrote this to young college students at Oxford University during World War II when it just started. He said, we see unmistakably the sort of universe in which we have all along been living and must come to terms with it. If we had foolish, unchristian hopes about human culture, they are now shattered. If we thought we were building up a heaven on earth, if we looked for something that would turn the present world from a place of pilgrimage into a permanent city satisfying the soul of man, we are disillusioned and not a moment too soon. They had just come through World War I. Now they're going to World War II. They were disillusioned. And Lewis pointed this out. Wisdom says God has set eternity in our hearts. You're never going to find rest because God has done something in you so that you're seeking him. That's where, that's where home is. And you will never have rest. You will never have joy. You will never have peace until you find reconciliation with him in Christ. And we are not going to lie to the culture. We are not going to compromise with them. We're not going to lie to them and keep them from God by preaching their message. They have no hope because there is no hope outside of the gospel. We're the one group of people. The church has the message. We cannot compromise that message. What I remember about that home, most of all, is God saved me in a bedroom there. And I found the great treasure of the kingdom. Fellowship with God in Christ. I don't need the house. I don't need the bedroom. I was thinking it would be in the National Historic Registry of some sort. However, but it's what God did August 21st, 1977 in that house that can never be taken from me. 
And that's the good news for our culture that we must preach. Number three, the Great Commission is Christ-exalting. It's going to be so interesting to jump into Acts next week and you're going to see how these men responded to the Great Commission and we're going to follow their example. They did two things. They preached the good news about Christ and they planted churches. Look over in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Verse 22, this is Peter, one of the disciples that Jesus gave the great commission to in Matthew 28. Now it's Acts chapter 2, and he's preaching. People think something is wrong with all these folks. And Peter is explaining what has happened. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God, with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But that's not all he says. Yes, this is unjust. <laughs> However, verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And down in verse 40, with many other words, he bore witness and continue to exhort them. And this is what we have to say. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. We have to preach the truth. We have to exalt Christ. We have to be radically Christ-centered. And we, we have to proclaim to our culture, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. This crooked generation. Otto wanted to help. In the movie. Our culture sees the problems. And, and, and they want to help. They see the hatred. They see depression. They see suicide, despair, exploitation, greed. They're... Like us. They, they want to make a difference. We want to make a difference. But there's no God in Otto's worldview. We do not believe there is any hope without God. Home is fellowship with God in Christ, unchanging. This world, this fallen world, never stays the same. The mission of the church is to make disciples. 
That's why we plant churches. The, if you'll notice in verses 18 through 20, there's one verb in the original language, make disciples. One verb, three participles. You don't even know what a participle is. But they are go, baptize, teach. But make disciples is the only verb. That's our mission. And disciple, it's not a word we use much today, is it? You know how many books in the New Testament use the word disciple? It's used 250 times in the New Testament, never after the book of Acts. It's used by Matthew, Mark, Luke in his gospel and in Acts, but never afterwards. It's used most frequently in Matthew's gospel. Why did Matthew write his gospel? It's a manual for disciples. He heard the Great Commission and he wrote this gospel. He uses the word disciple over 70 times more than any other author in the New Testament. He hears Jesus say, go make disciples. What can I do to help make disciples? Write a gospel, a manual. Jesus' teachings, if you remember, are brought together uniquely in Matthew's gospel. Five huge segments. The first one, the Sermon on the Mount. A disciple is more than a student, more than a pupil. It's, it's bringing people to Christ it's having them be with Christ and Christ's people. It's teaching them what Christ taught. With the goal, the whole goal is that they'll be like him. That's the mission of the church. We're to make disciples. The only way to achieve this, we have got to be radically Christ-exalting. And so... There's always going to be a conflict with the world. It's not going to be easy to stay on mission, to stay on message. There's going to be opposition. There's going to be persecution. We're promised persecution. In fact, Jesus said, if you remember in the Sermon on the Mount, you're blessed when you're persecuted. In a man called Otto, Otto befriends a transgender person who's been kicked out of their house by their family. It's in the movie and in our culture, heroic. It's a line we cannot cross. I, I have been told, you're going to find yourself on the wrong side of history. No discussion you're just going to find yourself on the wrong side of history. It's a way to win an argument by not having one. It's a way to say you're so backward. It won't be long till the whole world will see how backward you are. And there's this myth that the church 
has always been backward on these issues, and it's not true. But we, we can't cross this transgender line. Here's why. Psalm 139, verse 13, David. This is the truth. You formed me, my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. This is not bad news. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. This, this text has critical things to say about who we are. We are who we are because God himself created us the way we are. We aren't who we are because of an impersonal biological process. David pictures God as this master weaver at work in our mother's womb, creating us as directly as he created Adam when he made him out of the dust. Someone sent me a picture this week of a baby in the womb. It's come a long way since we were having babies. It's amazing. Life in the womb is such a wonder, isn't it? David isn't denying the biological process. He teaches us that God so superintends this process that he is directly involved in fashioning each of us. He fashioned you into the person he wants you to be. David was the person he was because God created him that way. He made him that way mentally, emotionally, everything about him physically. God is personally and directly involved according to scripture in who you are. You are the result of his attention, his thoughtfulness, his care. It's intimate, it's detailed, it's creative work. He is your creator. You are the way you are because that's the way he wanted you to be. If he wanted you to be different, he would have made you different. Every thing that is distinctive about you was his design. George MacDonald, a Christian author years ago said, to have been thought about, born in God's thoughts, and then made by God is the dearest, grandest, most precious thing in all thinking. It gives life meaning and purpose, doesn't it? This is not bad news. It's the truth. And it's actually the truth our culture so desperately needs. We have, you have a creator. We can try to ignore him, pretend he doesn't exist. 
but he does exist. And he's provided a savior. And we will never, never, ever be happy until we thank God for making us the way he did. So I hope you understand. I'm not a hater. <laughs> this church does not hate people. There's not an ounce of hate in this. It's a passion. It's a, we think this is the truth. I think it makes sense. I think it's reasonable. It's certainly biblical. And it's a mountain we have to die on if we want to turn Otto's world upside down. And that's why we exist. That is our purpose. We can't compromise this message. Be radically Christ-centered. That's what we're being called to do. In a culture that erases God, be radically Christ-centered. One theme, one significant reason for choosing the book of Acts is to focus on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus says we baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The three persons of the Godhead. The triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we're going to enjoy in the book of Acts observing the work of the Spirit. Our hope is it will encourage the work of the Spirit in our midst. We'll see it again and again. The Holy Spirit is the member of the Trinity whom the Scripture most often represents as being present with us to do God's work. We'll see when Jesus ascends to heaven in Acts 1, all through Acts, we will see the Holy Spirit is the one who is most prominently present with us now. And so often we, we forget the person of the Holy Spirit. But the, the Spirit is completing what God the Son has begun, what God the Father has planned. He purifies, He unifies, He reveals, He empowers. He does a broad work. And we anticipate as we study the book of Acts that the Spirit's going to be at work in our midst. I believe He's going to be at work this morning. Today is the second Sunday of the month. And it's a, a Sunday we always set aside for some unhurried time to allow God the Holy Spirit to be at work in our midst and to serve us. We need Him. So I'd like to ask you to stand now. I'm going to pray for you. I'd like to ask our prayer teams to come to the front and the worship team to come. We're going to invite you down as we sing to come and be prayed for. If you are here today and you are not a Christian, this is a great moment for you. Come to the front. There'll be pastors in each group. 
who will be happy to share the gospel with you and pray for you to come to Christ and have the gift of faith. You can come down for any need that you have today. Uh, we just want to allow the Spirit to direct and guide each one of us, but provide this time for prayer. Father, we, we thank you, Lord, as we begin this series on the book of Acts. And we pray, Father, for your help. Lord, we want to preach the gospel faithfully. We want to be Christ-exalting. We want to hear the words of the Great Commission and do our part. It's a small part, but we want to do our part. We want to preach the gospel. We want to evangelize. We want to plant churches. So, Lord, we pray that the fruit of this series will be success for the glory of God. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.